So do you have a shoebox at your house? And if you do, what's in that shoebox? Is your brand new Jimmy Choo's or your brand new Jordans or maybe your old Buster Browns or your old British Knights for you 80s kids out there? Some of you may have a shoebox that, that has, you know, maybe baseball cards in it or, or, or maybe some old photographs, maybe your collection of concert pins from boy bands. I don't know, whatever it is that you collect, whatever you have in your house, most of us have a shoebox somewhere. I saw a great life hack. This is free, a little extra for you today. Great life hack. You take your old toilet paper rolls, hang on to some of those old cardboard toilet paper rolls, and then you take a shoebox and you turn the toilet paper rolls upside down in the shoebox and then you fill it up with pins. So you have, have a little place for pins, a little, little free extra for you there, a little, little life hack for you on Sunday morning. Enjoy that. It's fun. It's nifty. In a month or so, we're going to start our promotion of Operation Christmas Child. Uh, this is where uh, we encourage you to fill up a box full of gifts to send to a child in need somewhere in the world. A shoebox that would do something great in a moment to help a child feel encouraged and also to hear the gospel. Whether it's a shoebox full of pins or shoes, old or new, whether it's a, a shoebox full of gifts for a child around the world, all of us have a shoebox somewhere. And, and a shoebox does something very specific. It, it holds something. It, it keeps something. And that's important, generally speaking, in life, because most of us will find ourselves in a hard moment. A hard moment on any given day this week, we could find ourselves in the middle of, of trouble, trials, sadness, sickness. We might find ourselves even in the middle of discouragement, depression, or even tragedy. And in those hard moments, what we need is a shoebox. We need a, a shoebox, maybe not one that we hold with our hands, but, but one that we hold with our hearts. And in that shoebox is this one thing that we desperately need for life. And what is that one thing in the shoebox? Well, let's see if we can find out today. Lamentations chapter 1, beginning with verse 17. Zion stretches out her hands. There is no one to comfort her. This is part of a poem that was written from the viewpoint of the people of Jerusalem sometime around 586 B.C., and in this part of the poem, the, the viewpoint we have is this, that, that the people feel like that nobody helped, that nobody called, that nobody stopped by, that nobody cared. Ever had a moment like that? Are you feeling that way this week? That nobody cares, that nobody's reaching out, that nobody's looking out? Or maybe you felt the opposite way, where people are constantly reaching out, people are constantly calling and emailing and texting, and, and they're saying things to you, like in the middle of your struggles, they're saying something like this, hey, don't worry about it, it'll all work out. It'll be fine. But what if it doesn't all work out? What if it's not fine? What if everything doesn't happen just like everybody promises it will happen? Beneath Reisner, she's experienced the pain of divorce. She's experienced the, the pain and is currently experiencing the pain of, of a disease that's debilitating to her body. 
And years ago, she experienced the pain of losing her infant son. She has had moments in life where it feels like there is no comfort. This is what she said. When people keep assuring me that I'll have a positive outcome, it feels like my pain is being dismissed. To experience pain, to reach out for comfort, and to find no comfort, that can be heartbreaking. But to experience pain, to reach out for comfort, and to be given a promise that everything will be fine and then it's not, well, that can be devastating. So, is there any help? Is there any help when it feels like there is no comfort? When no matter what you read or hear or pray or do, you just can't catch a breath from the pain. You can't catch a a breath from the anger, the frustration, the fear, or the worry. Is there any help? Is there any hope? Well, in, in light of all of the discouragement that she's faced, all the difficulties that she faced in life, her her physical health still one of those difficulties. This is what Benita said. The greatest comfort we can have is to know that we belong to Jesus. Now that's not hokey spirituality. That's not just some kind of religious sentiment. Jesus of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem. He was brutally executed. He was buried outside of Jerusalem. And he was boldly raised from the dead so that you could be saved from sin and evil and death and fear and even the feelings that life is pointless. And to believe in that truth, to trust in Jesus, to rely on Jesus, to cling to Jesus as your greatest hope for satisfaction on this earth, and your greatest hope for life after death. To do that means there is not a millisecond of your life that you cannot have comfort. To belong to Jesus means there is never a moment that you will reach out that you can't find comfort. In 1942, as the world was fully engaged with all of the dangers and the uncertainty of World War II, Dangers and uncertainty that are drastically different from what we are living in today, but at the same time, very similar to what we're living in today. At those times of danger, at those times of uncertainty, Norman Clayton wrote the following words of a hymn. Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him, no power of evil can sever. He gave his life to ransom my soul. Now I belong to him. If you belong to Jesus, there is no power of evil that can sever you from Jesus. There's no one and nothing that can sever you from Jesus. No war, no pandemic, no political turmoil, no economic downturn. There's absolutely nothing, not even death, can sever you from Jesus. You're safe 
in Christ. You're secure in Christ. Jesus died and rose again to guarantee your safety. Jesus died and rose again to guarantee your security. And in that, when you stretch out your hand for comfort and you find none, you can find comfort in Jesus. You can find comfort in belonging to Jesus. In fact, nothing can take that comfort away from you. So we have Jerusalem. We have church-going folks. We have God's people. They're reaching out, and they're not finding any comfort. And why did they need comfort? Look at verse 17. The Lord has commanded concerning Jacob that the ones round about him should be his adversaries. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. Here's why they needed comfort. They needed comfort because they were in the middle of the judgment of God. Why? Why were, why were they being judged by God? Why were they experiencing this, this punishment from God? Well, for 40 years, they had listened to sermons and Sunday school lessons and, and Bible studies, and they had, they had smiled, and they said, man, that was really interesting. I love studying books of the Bible. Boy, that's just great. I love that. But that's all they did was listen. That's all they did was, was make some, some remarks. They didn't actually obey what God was calling them to do. You see, God's not a mean God for his judgment. He's not a mean God for his punishment. He is a just God. And as it's often been said, God is a God of second chances, but technically that's not true. God is a God of thousands of chances. He is merciful and loving and patient over and over and over again. For 40 years, his people, the church people, ignored him. They smiled, they shook hands, they listened to the sermons, but they ignored God. They did not obey God, and he was patient. He was merciful. He kept waiting. So how about you? How long has God been patient with you? What is God being patient with you about right now? That, that thing, or maybe even that more than one thing that, that you know he's calling you to. Someone might say, well, if God was really a loving God, he would have just given him 40 more years. I mean, why does he have to be a jerk? Why, why, why can't he just be more loving? Just give him another 40 years. Maybe it's wrong to, to use us as a comparison, but really think about it. I mean, how willing are we to give politicians four more years, two more years? How willing are we to give the waitress four more minutes to bring that extra cup of butter, right? I mean, I'm impatient for butter, you know? How, how patient are we to give the coach four more games to turn things around? In other words, when you look at humanity throughout the ages, we are the most impatient creatures on the planet. And as Christians and non-Christians, we either say it or we think it at times, God, why aren't you doing this? God, why won't you be more loving about the situation? Why won't you be more merciful about the situation? And at the end of the day, are we the kind of people that should say to God, you should be more of something, especially patient? Listen, if God 
were to handle justice the way we are all demanding justice right now, the things that we post or read or, or see or say, this, this demand for things to be a certain way, if God were to handle things the way we are demanding for things to be handled, the world would be wiped out. But God is patient. He is loving. He is gracious. He continues to wait for me to turn from my sin. He continues to wait for you to turn from your sin. He continues to be patient and loving to people who are not even followers of Jesus, that they might turn from sin, turn to Jesus, and be set free from their chains. He is patient. But make no mistake, justice will be served. Someone put it this way. Punishment will happen in hell or will have happened on the cross. Sinners will bear it or Christ will will bear it. You cannot improve upon the justice of God in Christ's crucifixion or in hell. You can't improve on justice with hell. You can't improve on justice from the cross. It's it's full. It's perfect. It's done. It's accomplished. So, therefore, we can let go. Not let go of, of the need for justice because That would be chaos. But we can let go of the obsession with justice. We can let go of the unnecessary demands for justice. We can let go of the unnecessary fear or worry surrounding justice because God is just and God is good. And that is great news. Justice will be served. And in this moment, in this point, God's justice has come upon God's people. God's people, they they lost everything. They lost their city. They lost their nation. They lost their, their church, all from an invading enemy army. And now they're overwhelmed. They're they're just overwhelmed, and they're reaching out for comfort. They're, They're looking for someone to help them, and they're finding no comfort. So what's their attitude about God? What is there? Are they in a moment where they're saying, God, you are such a meanie. Why don't you just give us 40 more years? Why would you have to let these people come in? Are they saying that God's being a mean God because things aren't going the way they want them to go? Listen to verse 18. They begin to respond. This is their voice. The Lord is righteous, for I have rebelled against his command. They lost everything, but they didn't turn on God. But they knew exactly what they had done. They knew they were wrong, and they knew that God acted justly. They knew he would do what is right, even when what was right was hurting them, so to speak, causing them pain. In other words, finally, maybe a little too late, they're repenting. They're realizing, and their hearts are saying, God, have mercy on me. A sinner. God, have, have mercy on me. Just a, a challenging question for our hearts and minds as Christians. Is that what God's hearing from his church today? In the middle of the chaos of the world, is God hearing from his people, God, please have mercy on me, a sinner? Or is God hearing something else? Is God hearing anger or fear or worry? Or is he hearing humility. 
They acknowledged where they were. They knew where they were. But that didn't take away the pain. Listen to how they describe their pain. Verse 18. Hear now all peoples and behold my pain. My virgins and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and my elders perished in the city while they sought food to restore their strength themselves. They called out to their family, their friends. They even texted the pastor. But people died. And the people that didn't die, they were all in the same boat, desperately trying to find food and shelter and a job. They were all desperate. But they didn't turn against God. They didn't shake their fist at God. In fact, they turned to God. Listen to verse 20. See, O Lord, they're dressing God. See, O Lord, for I am in distress. My spirit is greatly troubled. Have you had a greatly troubled spirit this week about something? Verse 20. My heart is overturned within me, for I have been very rebellious. See, generally speaking, in Western culture, we are taught that when things come against us, we're supposed to stiffen up and fight back. It's not something that we're taught naturally to to humble ourselves, to wait, and to learn. These folks lost everything. They lost their their homes, their jobs. They lost their schools, their their churches, their city. They, They lost everything. They lost most of their freedom, if not all of it, in some sense. But they didn't become hardened, and they didn't become bitter. Someone said that we will be humbled by truth or we will be humbled by wrath. If you're choosing, go with the first one, okay? (laughs) Because being humbled by truth is definitely the better choice than being humbled by wrath. I was reading about William Gouge, who was a man who lived in England about 400 years ago. He was very sickly in life, particularly later in life, and, and he had fevers that were really described as violent fevers. But this is how he responded to his sickness. This is how he responded to these violent fevers. He said this, well, yet in all these, there is nothing of hell or God's wrath. Are you reaching out and you feel no comfort? Then please know this, there is comfort in Jesus. Because in Jesus, you cannot be severed from Jesus. No power of evil, no scheme of hell, no activity from man cannot sever you from Jesus. But even more than that, to be in Jesus, no matter what the suffering may be, no matter how bad the fever may be, the sickness, the depression, the discouragement, no matter how difficult it may get, none of it contains hell. None of it contains God's The people of God, the church folks, they, they knew they had been rebellious and they were feeling the consequences. Verse 20, in the street, the sword slays. In the house, it is like death. Everywhere they turned, there was death. I have been contacted every day, sometimes multiple times a day this week, about death. It, it's wearying. It, it, wears on your heart and your mind. And can you imagine some of our family members and our friends that that are there on the front lines at the hospital day in and day out, year after year after year after year, 
it, it weighs, it's, it's heavy, it's, it's hard. They were experiencing that. Death and defeat had devoured their entire city, really devoured their entire nation, and now they're feeling, feeling worn down physically, worn down emotionally, worn down spiritually. Ever been there? Ever had a day or a week? Maybe you're having it now where you just feel completely worn down. Listen as they continue, verse 21. They have heard that I groan. There is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my calamity. They are glad that you have done it. How about that? It's not just that they don't have any comfort. They're not feeling any comfort. Now the opposing team is in the middle of the field taunting them. Look what your God did now. We won. You're the losers. They felt helpless. They felt hopeless. And they could not find comfort anywhere. But then they remembered something. In the moment where they felt so overwhelmed, so discouraged, so down, like why is this happening to me? Why is this going on? In that moment, they remembered something. They remembered the promise of God. Listen to verse 21. Oh, that you would bring the day which you have proclaimed and they may become like me. In other words, God, I am praying for the day that my enemy will be defeated, whoever and whatever your enemy may be. See, they remembered, wait a minute, God has promised to make everything right. God has promised to make all things new. They remembered that even though they might be experiencing some level of punishment and judgment here on earth, they knew that in Christ and because they belonged to Jesus, they would never experience eternal condemnation. They were not condemned. They could not be condemned. God gave the following promises to the prophet Isaiah. I, I just, you know, I think sometimes we love some, you know, catchy Christian phrases that we can put on the fridge or on a bumper sticker or on a t-shirt, but sometimes we just need to think and see and read and listen and hear the very words of God. So I'm going to read a little section of Isaiah 53. These promises from God. I'm reading them from the, the Amplified Version of the Bible. So just try to, try to, try to get your ears on here for, for these, these verses, okay? Isaiah 43. But now, in spite of past judgments for Israel's sins, in spite of the rebellion against God, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, and He who formed you, O Israel, fear not. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I've ransomed you by paying a price instead of leaving you captives. I have called you by name. You're mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned or scorched, nor will the flame even kindle upon you. These are the promises of God that cannot change. No matter who's in office, no matter what war is happening in the world, no matter what health issue attacks your body, no matter what's happening at the bank or at work or at school, 
These are the promises of God, and they will not and cannot be changed. That's what God gives us. When we feel like there is no comfort, when we reach out and there's no comfort, listen, reach out one more time. Just just one more time, and this time reach out for the promises of God. Reach out for the unchanging promises of God. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. But how do we know that? Cool church words. Sounds very religious. But how do I know that God will not forsake me? How do I know that that God will not leave me? Here's how you know. Because Jesus is risen. It's not just a casual moment in history. Jesus is risen. And that matters. I was reading a section of a sermon this week that goes like this. The resurrection of Jesus makes Christianity the most irritating religion on earth. It's good. Why? Because you can argue about ethics, doctrines, rituals until you're blue in the face. People are free to believe whatever they want. What does that matter? But the resurrection means everything is changed. If Christ is not raised, then Christians are to be pitied for wasting their lives. But if Christ is raised, then that means it would be insane to ignore him and his claims. See, the resurrection changes everything. When there's this moment where we are losing our minds over what we're reading on social media, when we're losing our minds over what we're hearing on the news, in that moment, we can run to the resurrection of Jesus because the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. All of the claims of Jesus are true because of the resurrection. And one of those claims is that believers will be with him in paradise. But life doesn't always feel like paradise, does it? Life doesn't always feel like heaven, does it? Listen as the poem continues, verse 22. Let all their wickedness come before you, Lord, and deal with them as you have dealt with me for all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. Does your heart feel a little faint today? Is there something that's that's wearing you out mentally, practically, something that's, that's kind of wearing you down? See, the people, they wanted God to deal with their enemies. And God was going to. He'd already promised that in his time and in his way. And and his time is not always our time, right? God was was going to deal with it. But somebody might say, well, why didn't he do it right then? I mean, it, it just seems unfair. Why would God allow any of that to happen? Well, why does God let evil people keep getting away with evil? Why didn't God do something about it right now, let me ask you a question. Can you perfectly deal with sin in your life? Can you perfectly deal with sin at your house? I, I'll go ahead and tell you my answers to the first two is, is no. Can you perfectly deal with, with sin at work or at school or, or in the community or pretty much anywhere else in the world? 
And is there a king or a queen or a president or a politician or a pastor or a parent or a coach or a general or a dictator or anyone else, a judge, a lawyer? Is there anyone that right now is perfectly dealing with sin and evil in the world? Has there ever been anyone of any authority, in any position of power, ever in the history of the world that perfectly dealt with sin and evil in the world? The answer is no, and the answer will always be no. God is just, and God is good. But God is God, and we are not. So we have a choice. We can put all of our hope into nice, kind, well-intentioned, impatient, imperfect people like us, or we can put our hope first and most in the one who was and is and is to come. God's never been elected. He's never been appointed. He is God and there is no other. And he is good and his promises are real. So when your heart is faint, you can find comfort in the sovereignty of God. When your heart is is faint, you can find comfort in the justice of God. When you are so angry that people are getting away with things, you can run to the cross and you can run to the empty tomb and you can say, God will deal with it. You can find comfort when your heart is faint in the justice of God and you can find comfort when your heart is faint in the resurrection of Jesus. You can find comfort in belonging to Jesus. When your heart's faint, what you need is a shoebox. I was reading an article recently by Christine Hoover. She's a wife and mom in Virginia. She was writing about how she had found a shoebox. And she was looking through that shoebox and it, you know, had some old pictures and, you know, some old notes and just some, some old things reminding her of how things were. My mom brought me a, a, a few little shoeboxes, I don't know, maybe know, three or four years ago that she had found at the house. And I started going through them. And uh, man, wow, you think my hair's bad now? Gosh, you should have seen me in high school. I was rocking the scariest mullet you've ever seen in your life. And my hair was spiked up on top. Uh, I don't show that picture anywhere. There's, there's only one, so, you know. Uh, but, you know, looking through those shoeboxes, we see those things, right? We, we see those pictures. They make us laugh. We remember those friendships. But you know what also happens? Are we not usually drawn to the older pictures than the newer pictures? I mean, when you're looking through that box, you're, you're not looking for a picture that you took on your phone this morning. You're looking for that picture of, of when your hair was crazy or when you were wearing leg warmers or, you know, when, when you had braces or those friends that you had or, you know, what you looked like as a kid. I mean, we're looking at the old pictures. And what did the old pictures do for us? They help. That They bring some comfort because we remember, oh, man, I, I've been through so much. God's been, been so gracious in my life. We've moved three of our four kids in the college over the last three weeks. And, and one day, one of our move-ins this week, there was a kid that was driving us on the, the golf cart. And uh, he's like, hey, where are you guys from? We're like, oh, we live over in Lexington. And, and he said, uh, I was like, where are you from? He goes, I grew up in North Augusta, born and raised. Well, that's 
where I was born and raised. I was like, no way. So I was like, hey, maybe I know your parents. I didn't, you know, because my little town is not my little town anymore. Things have changed. But in that split second of just hearing my hometown and being at college, dropping my son off, it's like the memories of God's grace and his mercy begin to, to flood back. Plus, I knew I was getting ready to eat in the college cafeteria in a few minutes, which is the greatest thing on the planet. So I was really excited about everything in life that day. But we see the old pictures, and they help. This is what Christine says. This is why they help. She said, one reason is that when we look back, those memories are informed by a longer and wider perspective. You, you will not get that perspective today on social media. You won't get that perspective today watching TV. And then she says this. We're able to view them through the filter of God's goodness without the fear or uncertainty we might have experienced in the moment. Because see, in the moment, what happens? We're afraid, we're angry, things are crazy, things are terrible. It, it feels like hell in a handbasket. That's what happens in the moment. But the beauty of the old pictures, the beauty of the promises of God, is they remind us, wait Self, God has been good. God has been faithful. The Old Testament over and over again says what? Remember, 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 remember what God did here. Remember what God did here. Remember, remember. But then the prophets, like Jeremiah, like these poems and lamentations, they also say to us, look ahead. Remember and look ahead. Christine says this, the people were to look forward to a perfect deliverer and forever rescue when God would make beauty from their ashes. What kind of ashes do you have in life right now? What kind of ashes are you dealing with in life right now? What's burned you? What's burned you out? What's, what's overwhelming you? What's What's discouraging you? And what is it about those ashes, those things that are causing your heart to be faint? Here's a promise from God. He will turn our ashes into beauty. It's, he can't change from that. It's his promise. So when your heart is faint, when you feel like there's no comfort, you need a shoebox. And, and in that shoebox, you need a note that reminds you of this. The greatest comfort that we can have in the universe is to belong to Jesus. Do you belong to Jesus? If so, then reach out. There is comfort in him.